folks, Dr. Travis McMacken here. Welcome or welcome back, as the case may be. Thank you for choosing to spend a bit of your day with me. I hope that I can at least help you to think some interesting thoughts. I'll be back with you in a moment after the music ends. So today I'm going to start a brand new series. And this will be the first content series that I have created uh, foremost and primarily for the podcast format rather than uh, the blog format or the YouTube format. And what I'm going to be doing is working through Karl Barth's Gerdigen Dogmatics, at least uh, the amount of the material that's translated and available in English. And that's about half of the full lecture cycle. Um, and the reason I'm uh, going to be doing this is because people have been asking me for a while uh, online, on and off and in different formats, for more content on BART. So I did my PhD on BART and his Doctrine of Baptism. That's going to come back a little bit later on uh, today. Uh, but I haven't done a ton with BART since then. Just a few things here or there. I kind of shifted my attention over to one of BART's students, Helmut Golwitzer, and got more into uh, political theology and then trying to work a little more uh, creatively within dialectical theology as a broader category that includes BART but isn't only about BART. But because my specialty is BART, and folks know that and, and appreciate content on BART, I've gotten those kinds of requests. And so I wanted to find some way of filling those requests, but I had to find a way of doing it that would keep me interested because honestly, I've just become disinterested with so much uh, that passes for BART studies uh, these days. I, I can't get super excited about another monograph on a particular theological topic in the church dogmatics. Um, those aren't the kinds of questions that I'm asking theologically these days. So I needed to find a way of engaging with BART that would hold my interest while also uh, hopefully being interesting for those who might listen along. And so I decided uh, on the Gerdigen Dogmatics because it's easier for me to stay focused on the early BART. Um, one of the reasons for that is uh, studying the early Bart helps to clarify his trajectory. You get to see more of where he was coming from before he got to the church dogmatics. And for my money, this can provide a lot of help in uh, making sure that your interpretations of the church dogmatics are keeping, in Bar uh, keeping with Bart's uh, true spirit, the spirit of his work. And I think uh, oftentimes uh, in interpretations of the church dogmatics these days, we lose some of that spirit and we lose some of uh, Bart's own interest and focus. And key features of that get lost and submerged that studying the early Bart uh, can help us bring once more to the surface. And one important aspect of this is that the earlier uh, Bart materials are closer to his socialist activism. So while he was a pastor in Soffenville, he was very much engaged in union organization and socialist political agitation. And then he uh, goes to the university and starts teaching theology and makes what some folks call a dogmatic turn. And a lot of times then uh, the dogmatics that follow get um, disconnected from that political origin story. But if you're reading the early Bart, uh, at least in my mind, it's easier to see those two things fitting together. And so if you can understand how that trajectory fits together before CD, uh, before the church dogmatics, you can track it and see it uh, between the lines uh, beneath the surface most of the time, but nonetheless there, 
in uh, the church dogmatics. And Helmut Goldwitzer and uh, his student, Friedrich Wilhelm Marquardt, um, argue in various works that at least part of what's going on during Barth's dogmatic turn is that he's looking for a theological, theoretical grounding for revolutionary socialist praxis after becoming disappointed uh, as a result of a number of failures of socialist politics uh, in Germany. So, for instance, um, there is the betrayal of the Socialist Party in Germany when they uh, capitulate and support the World War I war effort. Bart is not happy about that. Um, there's also the aborted German Socialist Revolution after uh, World War I on the, at the dawn of the Weimar Republic. And um, the Socialist Party, the SPD, uh, kind of betrays those more revolutionary uh, socialist and communist um, actors in that revolution and ends up getting people killed, including uh, Rosa Luxemburg. And so that's another piece uh, of disillusionment. Also, the Bolshevik Revolution in uh, Russia. Uh, Bart tracked that with interest and uh, was concerned as uh, it moved into the 20s uh, that the true spirit of it was being lost and it was descending into a form of authoritarianism. Uh, so he's, he's got these disappointments and, and he decides, at least in part, that one of the issues is you don't have a proper theory to support this praxis and so the praxis uh, goes off the rails. And he thinks that theology is positioned to provide a robust theory uh, of this praxis that is going to resist um, those uh, mistakes in the future. At least he wants to try to develop that kind of theology. So again, uh, it's not that this is the only thing Bart is doing when he makes his dogmatic turn. It's, it's a uh, very multifaceted uh, intellectual shift. Uh, but it is, is and according to Golvitzer and Markhart, and I agree with him, it is at least an important part of it. And I think you can see that a lot more clearly in the earlier Bart. So in focusing on the Gerdigan dogmatics, uh, I want to be closer to that shift and see if I can uh, breathe that air a bit more. So in this series, I'm going to be working through section by section, paragraph by paragraph, paragraph in the sense of uh, section markers through the Gerdigan dogmatics to uh, just talk about it and basically do kind of a reader response uh, sort of study of it where uh, I read it and I highlight interesting things to me and I talk about why they're interesting and share them with you all. And so there are 18 sections or paragraphs in this uh, text that I'll be working through and, and hopefully I'll be able to work through it at somewhat of a steady pace, but we'll just see what sort of demands uh, intervene. But for today, I really want to provide uh, even some further background than I just have uh, to what Bard is doing in the Gerdigan dogmatics. So in terms of background, uh, I was talking about that dogmatic shift that Bart makes. Uh, in 1921, he gets called as Extraordinarius Professor of the Reformed Theology at the University of Gerdigan. Now, when we hear, hear the term Extraordinarius, we think extraordinary, which is something uh, special and over-the-top and wonderful, but in the German academic context, it simply means uh, honorary, prof like, um, honorary professor or visiting professor, uh, something other than the standard or ordinarius professor rank. So Bart was attached to this university and teaching in the university, but he did not have uh, the same place uh, on the faculty and the same rights as the ordinarius faculty. 
And the rest of the theology faculty in Göttingen was Lutheran, and so he was sort of the lone reformed voice there. And when he took that teaching position, he felt uh, woefully inadequate and felt as though his knowledge of the Reformed tradition was very inadequate because Barth never did a doctoral degree, much less uh, his dissertation, much less a habilitation shift, which is sort of the second dissertation in the German educational system, uh, which qualifies you to go from being a privat docent, which is sort of a glorified tutor attached to a university, uh, or uh, you might be, uh, with just your uh, dissertation, you could be a Mitarbeiter uh, working for an ordinarius uh, professor in the German system. Uh, but the Mitarbeiter uh, rank is uh, roughly equivalent to the American assistant professor rank. And the idea is that if you're a Mitarbeiter, you're working on an habilitation shift. You have received an invitation from a professor uh, from the chair uh, to complete a habilitation shift under their guidance and under their auspices. And so you're working with and for them, uh, teaching classes and uh, doing other kinds of work uh, in support of that chair, the chair of theology or chair of what have you, and also working on this second dissertation. Once you complete that dissertation, you become eligible for a chair in your own right. So it's uh, that's roughly equivalent to uh, receiving tenure in the American system, uh, which comes with the rank of associate professor. Anyway, uh, that's a bit of a digression about the German academic system. Uh, but Bart is an extraordinary professor. He has not completed even his dissertation. Uh, he has this position. He needs to get up to speed on Reformed theology. So um, he starts teaching through a number of the key texts and figures that he is going to need to know uh, to execute this task. So he lectures, for instance, on the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, on the Reformed Confessions in general. He lectures uh, on Calvin for a semester, on Zwingli, on Schleiermacher. He's also uh, teaching biblical studies. So he lectures on 1 Corinthians, on Ephesians, and on 1 John. And once he's completed all that, he feels like he's getting ready to start teaching systematics for the first time. And one of the things that uh, helped him was uh, encountering Heinrich Heppe's uh, compendium, or concordance really, of uh, Reformed orthodoxy, and realizing that he needed to rethink everything from the ground up. And so I've got a quote here, and this is from the introduction to the Gerdian dogmatics from Daniel Migliori, and I'm going to say more about this introduction and about Migliori a little bit later on, but um, here is a quote from him about what's going on. Quote, at the center of Barth's pioneering work is the affirmation of the deity of God over against all comfortable bourgeois distortions of the God attested by scripture. And then, end quote, we'll put a pin in that, but, but notice uh, how Migliori brings out the bourgeois distortions of the God attested by scripture. So this is where the, that socialist activism is uh, coming through the surface uh, in Barth's work. Anyway, back to the quote. Uh, Barth's decisive turn from the old liberalism that he had learned in his university years and had espoused in his early ministry was registered as early as 1916 in his programmatic statement, uh, Miliori quoting Barth. We should begin at the beginning and recognize that God is God. And that's the end of the quote of Barth. The declaration God is God runs like a great fugal theme with many variations through the Gerdingen dogmatics. 
That God is God means that God is the living, free, gracious, and righteous Lord. All that we think and say about God and the world must take into account that we are human and not God. So ending that quote from Liori. And this whole idea of God is God and God being, and, and the statement that God is God means questioning all of our normal assumptions when we think about God. Bart is really trying to rethink everything from the ground up. And this priority he puts on God uh, over against the human and over against the theological enterprise is really a key mark of his location within the Reformed tradition. So he's working on rethinking everything. He's he's developing these resources that he needs to rethink them through all of these different lecture cycles. And then in the summer of 1924, through the summer of 1925, he lectures uh, through what we have as the Göttingen Dogmatics. He delivered these lectures, lectures to about 60 students, and they generated excitement from the beginning, but Bart didn't want to publish them. Uh, he didn't feel like they were ready to be published. And so uh, when he left Göttingen for the University of Münster, which was his next appointment, he cycled. He, he lectured through systematics again uh, from 1926 to 1927 and revising and updating and, and uh, bringing in more information as well to that Münster cycle. But he still wasn't satisfied, so then he moves to Bonn and he begins another systematics lecture cycle in 1931, and that's what would be the church dogmatics, the Kirschica dogmatique. So uh, this is at the very beginning of his development of the material that would become the church dogmatics, but not without a great deal of revision and especially expansion in the meantime. Now, the title that Bart gave these lectures under was not Gerdigan Dogmatics. Uh, that is the title that has been given to the English translation. Uh, Bart wanted to call it uh, just basically dogmatics. Um, and the fa Lutheran faculty at uh, the University of Gerdigan did not like that idea. They didn't want uh, students or the public getting the idea that you've got this reformed guy teaching dogmatics on the behalf of the faculty as a whole. And this decision by the faculty there at Göttingen was upheld by the German Ministry of Education, so Bart could not simply teach uh, a class on dogmatics. He needed to have a qualifier in there to mark it as distinctly reformed. They wanted him to teach reformed dogmatics. Well, Bart didn't want to do that because he didn't want to uh, pigeonhole his dogmatics in one particular uh, confessional context. He wanted to make broader claims than that uh, as to dogmatics and Christian theology. So he comes up with the title, and this is the title that he used, Unterricht in der Christlichen Religion. Um, and this is basically a German translation of Calvin's title, Institutes of the Christian Religion, or Instruction in the Christian Religion. So Barth's being a little uh, coy with his title, uh, but he never took that title too seriously. He says right off the bat at the beginning of the lectures that it's just a placeholder, and what he thinks what he's doing in that first semester of lectures is prolegomena to dogmatics, full stop. Anyway, all of this and more you can find in the introduction uh, to the volume by Daniel Migliori. And it's a very long introduction. It's nearly 50 pages long. And it's very, very good. And it covers the whole Gerdigan cycle, not just what we already have in English translation. So that's very valuable for those of us 
uh, who don't have the facility in German to go look at the, uh, the Gesamtes Gaba uh, version of the text or who simply, in, as in my case, don't have the time uh, to do that. And there have been rumors about the translation of the rest of this dogmatic cycle into English since I've been studying BART. So at least, you know, 12 to 15 years of rumors uh, for w talking about the, the completion of this translation project. Uh, I reached out to Kate Dugan at the Center for BART Studies, and she told me that, in fact, they are just about as of the time of this recording, they're just about a year or so away from having the translation completed, which is super exciting. Of course, publication is another issue entirely, but having that translation completed is a big deal, and I'm really looking forward to having that available. So great job uh, and well done to the folks at the BART uh, Translation Seminar and to Kate at the Center for BART Studies. That's super important work. But I want to talk a little bit about this uh, introduction in its own right because it's got so much great material in it. Uh, one piece of material that I, I especially valued uh, has to do with uh, Migliori's discussion of dialectics. So he, uh, beginning on uh, their Roman numerals. So when I'm talking about the introduction, if I give you a page number, you have to think Roman numerals. So I'm on page 29, Roman numeral 29. Migliori gives a four-point breakdown of how Bart uses the concept of dialectic uh, in the Grittigan dogmatics, and that's really, really helpful. It provides a lot of clarity. So he talks about a dialectic of concepts, he talks about a dialectic of existence, he talks about a dialectic of revelation, and he talks about a dialectic about dialectic as theological method, and that's the part I'm most interested in. And when we get to this point, we're bringing back uh, that quote that I just read a few moments ago about God being God, letting God be God, God is God, as the foundational uh, statement for Reformed dogmatics. So here's what um, Migliori says about dialectic as a theological method, or as a way of theological reflection. Quote, dialectical thinking recognizes that God is always subject and cannot be made into an object. Our thinking and speaking of God must be in continuous movement from one inadequate concept to another, seeking all the while to allow the word of God to define all of our concepts, giving God the glory as we acknowledge both our incapacity and God's steadfast promise. Such dialectical thinking belongs to the worldly human character of dogmatics. Only in heaven will we no longer need dialectical thinking, end quote. And, he, and Migliori, in making that statement, is referencing uh, at different points uh, sections of Barth's Grittigan dogmatics so that you can go and further reference them. But this idea of dialectical thinking recognizes that God is always subject and cannot be made into an object. This is the key claim of dialectical theology. It's God's non-objectifiability. You cannot turn God into an object. You cannot objectify God. And as soon as that occurs, you're no longer speaking about God. You're speaking about an idol, some kind of a construct that you've made in your own mind. And so the encounter with God, this event of encounter with God, is all about breaking out of our pre-existing concepts and being pulled out of ourselves and our normal ways of thinking and encountering something that transcends all that and that criticizes it all and puts it all to judgment. And Migliori goes on in the next paragraph to make this claim. He says, quote, In the Gertigan dogmatics, 
Bart offers a dialectical reading of the Reformed theological tradition, end quote. And I think that is spot on. And it's one of the reasons that I've been so fascinated by the Gerdigan dogmatics, the small pieces of it that I've read before and now that makes me most excited to work through it in a systematic way because I am also a Reformed theologian uh, who does dialectical theology and I'm looking to uh, use this volume as a model for future work and as a, as a way of clarifying exactly what's at stake in being a Reformed dialectical theologian. So uh, this section on dialectic, uh, and, and specifically its dialectic and analogy, uh, is really helpful for Miliori's introduction. There are other uh, helpful sections as well. For instance, he has a section on Barth's use of Reformed orthodoxy, which is just absolutely fantastic. And uh, Miliori makes very clear that for Bart, it's never, and this is a quote from Bart, repristinization of the older Christian or Reformed dogmatics, end quote. So it's not a neo-orthodoxy. So much of Bart's reception in English language theology is tied up one way or another with the concept of neo-orthodoxy, a new way of stating something that has always been true in Christian theology. And that's just not correct. Uh, that's a misappropriation of Bart and Bart's work. Bart never intended to be neo-orthodox. And in fact, at one point in volume four in the Church Dogmatics, he explicitly says, this is not about neo-orthodoxy. I think he'd been hearing how he had been received in North America. And a lot of Bart studies these days is still caught up in that neo-orthodox model of uh, understanding Bart as a gateway to the theological tradition and as a particularly compelling statement of what has always been said. And you lose so much of Bart's creativity in his theology and the way that he has really rethought it from the ground up in this dialectical way so that even when he is using concepts from the tradition or working uh, very closely within their uh, categorical constraints uh, in creative and new ways, it's all on a very different foundation. And if you don't reckon with that different foundation, you misunderstand exactly what's going on with all of his uh, conceptual creativity working within the tradition. And I think that happens today, unfortunately, in a lot of Bart studies. And uh, perhaps we need to put a moratorium on, on studying the CD until folks have gotten well-versed in the Gertigan dogmatics. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm overstating things. Uh, for the purposes of uh, generating interest in the Gerdigan dogmatics, but it, it, is, it is a very real concern of mine uh, in Barth's studies today. So this idea uh, that it's not a neo-orthodoxy, even though it's deeply engaged uh, with the tradition of Reformed orthodoxy and with uh, the Christian theological tr tradition in general, uh, is very important. Another section in this introduction has to do with uh, Luther, Calvin, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting all turned around with Barth's debate with Lutheran theology. So while he's at Gerdigan, he's, he's attached to a Lutheran faculty, and so most of his conversations are with those Lutheran faculty, and he's kind of positioning himself against them and with reference to them. When he goes to Munster, uh, that's a Catholic faculty, and he uh, has different sets of conversations there. Uh, Amy Marga's uh, got a great book on this that I, I highly recommend to you. Um, so this section on his, his conversations with Luther, Lutheran theology, I don't want to get into it in detail. Miliori works through seven, seven different points there, uh, and I'll leave that to you to look up. Um, but it's a very, very interesting and helpful section. And then finally, just one more section uh, that really interests me is the section on sacraments, on baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
and Migliori lays out that in the Gerdigan dogmatics, Bart is in favor of infant baptism, of pedo-baptism. Now, those of you who know Bart know that by the time he's uh, reaching the doctrine of baptism in church dogmatics, he no longer supports pedo-baptism. He uh, wants to see adult baptism as a mode of confession and prayer. And uh, I happen to have written a whole book about this called The Sign of the Gospel. Uh, I recommend that to you. Uh, sometimes it's, it's priced higher than I would like it to be, but sometimes you can get the Kindle version uh, at a reasonable price. And I work through uh, Bart's doctrine of baptism in systematic but also historical perspective, and I lean on some of Migliori's work uh, in, in tracing Bart's trajectory. Really what happens is Bart supports pedo-baptism until the late 1930s, where he has a shift, and it's driven uh, by theological claims that he's making, and I lay that all out in the book. But Migliori highlights here how in Gerdigan, Bart is defending infant baptism. And so I'm just going to read you a paragraph or so of Familiori in the introduction um, that will bring out the, the flavor of Bart's doctrine of baptism in the Gerdigan dogmatics. Here we go, quote, Baptism for Bart is the sign of God's including us in the covenant of grace and calling us to discipleship prior to any action on our part. There could be not be a stronger theological defender of infant baptism than the Bart of the Gerdigan dogmatics. He interprets infant baptism as a powerful witness to the free grace of God. Infant baptism uh, occurs in, and this is a quote from Bart, absolute one-sidedness, and that quote from Bart. Properly understood, all baptism has this meaning. Our reconciliation is grounded not in our faith, piety, or morality, but in the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. A corollary of Bart's theology of infant baptism is his criticism of the practice of confirmation, which he thinks badly undermines the authentic meaning of baptism, since it implies that a valid baptism depends upon a on the response of faith. And I want to end quoting from Migliori there, but I find this really, really interesting, that even though Bart is holding the traditional infant baptism line in the Gerdigan dogmatics, he's still finding a way to criticize uh, traditional practice, and specifically the practice of confirmation. But of course, Calvin criticizes the practice of confirmation as well, so Bart's in good company there. Anyway, uh, this section on baptism and the Lord's Supper in the Gerdigan is interesting, and I highly recommend it to you if you have interests in those theological topics. Uh, finally, I'd like to say a few things just about uh, Daniel Migliori uh, himself, uh, the author of this introduction. Uh, He's a professor, now now retired from Princeton Theological Seminary. He spent 30-odd years there, I believe, uh, a very long time. And uh, he retired while I was a doctoral student there. We all called him Miggs, just as in an affectionate way of shortening his last name. I never had any classes with him. And looking back, it is uh, a great a great missed opportunity. I have a couple of those in my education. So for instance, when I was an undergraduate at Wheaton College, there was a two-semester cycle on the history of philosophy. And I, to this day, have minimal interests in philosophy as such. Uh, but, and I had even less uh, then than I do now, but if I had taken that course, I would have a much more thorough understanding of the history of philosophy and what's at stake in all of these arguments that I wish I had. Uh, so that's one of my regrets. That's my undergraduate regret, so to speak, that I did not take the two semesters of history of philosophy. My graduate study regret is that I never took a class from Daniel Migliori. I interacted with him in other ways. I heard him lecture in a number of different times, 
benefited from his erudition and his uh, example uh, in those ways uh, and interacted him with just in the context of faculties mixing with grad students, but never had a class from him. Uh, he taught the master's level uh, in Karl Barth course at Princeton Seminary for ages and ages and ages, and he taught it in that last semester before he retired. And so, uh, and he always ended that course with a lecture on Barth and divine beauty, working from Church Dogmatics 2.1, joy and divine beauty. And so we all showed up that day to hear his swan song lecture and we packed out that lecture uh, room in Stewart Hall, and it was a command performance. It, it's, it's etched into my memory still today. One of the most um, evocative and moving intellectual uh, experiences that I've had in my life. And so uh, that was a great day uh, to celebrate Miggs's career at Princeton Seminary and everything that he had contributed. Uh, and he does talk about divine beauty in this introduction. I highly recommend that section to you as well. Afterwards, we had cake and coffee uh, with him, and there was a cake with a silhouette of Karl Barth, one of the famous Barth pictures with him holding his pipe on that cake, and I, I have pictures from that day filed away that I pull out and look at, and uh, myself and a number of my colleagues uh, and a number of the other faculty there at Princeton and Miggs. Uh, so that was a great day, and, and so I was happy to relive some of those memories as I sat down and read, for the first time, this introduction in its entirety. I had read sections of it before but reading it in its entirety. So I'm thankful for Migliori and um, what he has contributed. And in fact, I still teach his book, Faith Seeking Understanding, when I teach my own uh, theology class. And uh, I still uh, uh, learn from him and uh, make use of him in that way. His uh, Faith Seeking Understanding is kind of an introduction to systematic theology sort of thing. It's Bardian inflected, but pan-Protestant. That's kind of how I think about it. Uh, and it also um, affirms and welcomes uh, the things that we often call contextual theologies, while also making the point that all theology is contextual. So there's lots of liberation theology and feminist theology that come in uh, to that introduction. Uh, to make it a much richer uh, thing than just um, standard white theology with the Bardian inflection. So the way Migliori brings all that together, I think, is really helpful. And he gives examples of, of um, figures and their arguments from these different uh, contextual theologies uh, that even, even if he doesn't agree with them entirely, he's laying them out and making sure that students uh, can interact with them. So I, I really value that text uh, as well, faith-seeking understanding, and recommend it to you if you're looking for an introduction to theology. All right, I have reached the end of my notes on this first and introductory uh, reflection on Barth's Göttingen Dogmatics and, and Milliori's introduction to it. I'm looking forward to digging into the volume deeper, and I hope you'll be hanging out and listening along, and I will uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. You've been listening to the McCracken Cast. I am, and hopefully will remain, Dr. Travis McMacken. I do all the production work myself, in case you couldn't tell, but the music is by my son, Connor. Until next time, think interesting thoughts. Thank you.